Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. Minister for Public Expenditure and Reform, Pascal Donoghue, is set to address the doll after the Taoiseach's questions next Tuesday afternoon. We do need balance and perspective in relation to these issues. I I have found Pascal Donoghue to be a very honourable person to deal with uh, in government over the last two and a half years. I have to say that. Jacinda Ardern is quitting as New Zealand's Prime Minister ahead of this year's election, saying she no longer has enough in the tank to lead. When's the right time for a political leader to step aside? You cannot and should not do it unless you have a full tank, plus a bit in reserve for those unexpected challenges. And later, BAFTA's 2023, a bumper crop of Irish nominations. You can join the conversation on the hashtag TonightVMTV. Taoiseach is attending the World Economic Forum in Davos, where he is meeting political leaders and the chief executives of US multinationals. Leo Varadkar is set to meet with Keir Starmer, leader of the UK opposition Labour Party tomorrow, with an expected message that he wants to improve the UK's relationship with the EU post-Brexit. Well, shortly before coming on air, I spoke to Politico Suzanne Lynch and I asked her what the mood is like there in Davos. Yes, um, this forum has been taking place here at Davos all week. Now, I'm speaking to a very quiet Congress centre because most of the the senior executives and officials are all out in different parties and events that are happening just outside the main centre here. But so this is really kind of like a giant networking event. So as a result, you get a lot of prime ministers, a lot of officials from across the world who are meeting with businesses um, and, I suppose, vying for investments. Uh, You also have a lot of big political names, So during the week, we heard from the German Chancellor, Olaf Scholz, for example. We heard from Ursula von der Leyen, the head of the European Commission. And there was a a virtual address by the Ukrainian President, Volodymyr Zelensky. Um, So a lot of talk here about Ukraine and Russia and the next steps on that. That's obviously also a big theme here this year. Okay. also there is the Taoiseach Leo Varadkar. He is been meeting with tech companies. Is that right? Uh, What was on his agenda today? Yes, I mean, his only public engagement as such was a panel discussion this afternoon on the main uh, stage here at the World Economic Forum. He was on with other uh, leaders, including the European president, Roberta Metzola. Um, But really uh, what he was doing was privately meeting with senior executives. The IDA held a dinner here on Wednesday night. It was also attended by the finance minister, Michael McGrath, and then the Taoiseach too. Um, So uh, that's his, his main kind of objective here. It's always a difficult one for leaders. Some have chosen to stay away. Uh, The fact that Davos is seen as this kind of symbol of the rich and the elite, uh, it means that some politicians feel that it's going to show that they're out of touch with their constituents, with with everyday people. And uh, But 
the other side of the argument is that a lot of prime ministers feel you need to be here to make those connections, uh, to make uh, to make the business case for your country, because that's what most of these officials from all over the world are doing here. Yeah, he probably didn't need to go to Davos to do it, but he is meeting with the UK um, Labour leader, Keir Starmer, in the morning to discuss post-Brexit issues. And he was asked yeah. earlier today, wasn't he, about the prospect of a united Ireland. What did Leo Varadkar have to say on that? Yes, he was asked this during his panel discussion that he was on and he kind of refrained from commenting on it. He said, even though he'd commented on this before, it was a very sensitive time in the negotiations and he didn't want to you know, say anything um, that would not be, that would be insensitive to some communities. So he kind of dodged that question to a sense. He didn't want to be drawn on it in this public forum. Um, he has been talking a lot, though, uh, about Brexit on the fringes here. He will be meeting Keir Starmer tomorrow. It's very interesting that the Labour politicians in Britain are here at Davos. Labour, more left-wing party, are here meeting businesses, trying to position themselves as a party of business, uh, of investment. And Rishi Sunak and most of uh, his his cabinet have stayed away. Hey, Politico, Suzanne Lynch. Uh, thank you, Suzanne. Thank you for joining us from the World Economic Forum tonight. Well, for more on this now, I'm joined by journalist Megan Scully, broadcaster George Hook, Labour Party TD Aona Reardon, and Irish examiner columnist Alison O'Connor. And uh, you might notice tonight that we have no government TD on the panel this evening. Nobody was available from any of the three coalition parties to join us here in studio, but we plough on. George Hook, you may represent. I feel very comfortable representing okay, that's fine. the party that I voted for at every single election. All right. Okay. Well, there we have it. Um, we, we definitely have uh, your agenda and your viewpoint there on that. Um, look, it's interesting, isn't it, uh, listening to what uh, Suzanne had to say um, from Davos about all these business and world leaders meeting, talking about, I suppose, the future of jobs, sustainability, mm. profits, all of that. And right here at home today, we had that hammer blow with the loss of jobs and the closure of Argos in Ireland, Alison. Mm. Um, it's pretty devastating stuff, 580 jobs, and it just shows you what, you know, a difficult mm. position we are in right now. Yeah, uh, just before I get into that, I am wondering at Fine Gael's level of comfort that you represented them, uh, George. <laughs> um, the, I suppose it's, listen, it's even the fact that it's January. Wasn't it on Monday we heard that it was the most, that, the most depressing day of the year? Um, and that we've had this sense building up, you know, in terms of uh, the cost of living crisis, the worsening world economy. So this is the kind of news that, you know, puts your, your heart in your boots. And yet when you look into it further, we'll say the situation with Argus, I was even thinking about myself personally, I don't know when I was last in an Argus. Um, and that it's not particularly user-friendly, particularly when it's so much easier now for those who are ordering online. You order something from Amazon, it's there the next day. And that they changed their business model in the UK. They were taken over by Sainsbury's. They have sort of concessions in Sainsbury's stores. So I guess the writing was on the wall, which is little comfort to the 500 and I think it's 80 employees. Uh, and equally the news about, about Microsoft but I guess we have to put that in the context of that we're at full employment. You know, we're not, if you even can compare where we are economically compared to the UK, mm -hmm. uh, we're in a pretty good place now, even though the world isn't in a very good place and we are worrying about what the, you know, what the future is going to bring. Yeah, but we did hear, you know, people from Retail Express today, Aon, that like 
Sadly, this is the situation we are in with many retailers right now. This month in particular mm. is the worst month of the year. Um, and when you look at cost of living, and that was one of the reasons we heard that demand has, has, has gone down considerably. Um, consumer demand for you know, the likes of Argos, that they're simply not doing the business because people and aren't spending. Argos is, is a real loss because these are unionised jobs. And you know, to replace unionised jobs with similar type of employment is going to be, is going to be difficult. Argos, I remember in the 80s, if you ever went to England uh, in the 80s, you ran down to Argos because it was so revolutionary, that type of um, consuming, that type of retail mm. experience. But I think COVID has completely changed people's you know, buying habits. If you're going to order something, it's going to be delivered to your own home. People have gotten used to that now. And if you're going to shop in the main street, you want an experience. And the experience in Argos is quite, you know, is quite short and it's not very browsy. And, uh, uh, you, you're not going to get a whole lot of joy out of it necessarily. So, so the business model has to change. We have to look, I suppose, about how our, our, our towns and our villages across the country are changing. We had a document that we released in the Labour Party 18 months ago about how we need to revitalise that. I think we need to almost recast our view of how uh, you know, the rural town, the rural village, the, the regional town operates. We need to make it much more pedestrian friendly, much more family friendly. We have, a, we, we have gone away, I think, from the large supermarket on the outside of town idea to, to, to wanting to bring people into, into city centre again. I think part of that actually, and this can be a controversial point, but the loss of town councils driving that type of agenda mm. within those regional centres is a big loss because that civic leadership that used to have that sense. So of we shouldn't we shouldn't be relying on the likes of Argos taken over by Sainsbury's, of course, in the UK, a different agenda, not yeah. willing to make the investment into Ireland. Simply, I, I, I think sometimes government can can say that we have full employment and we have X amount of of you know receipts from the exchequer and everything is fine economically, but when these hits come for those families, this is a, a devastation. And I think we need to think for the next 5, 10, 15 years as to what your average urban centre is going to look like. And will the town actually survive? Because if Argos goes, it's following a pattern. Yeah. Uh, also interesting because we know Leo Radker is over and he's talking about post-Brexit and how all of that is going. But um, how that sort of feeds into decisions that, you know, big UK companies are making about investing in Ireland, George. I think the thing you really have to look at, though, uh, and, and obviously I'm a product of my generation, uh, the thing is, if this had happened 30, 40, 50 years ago, there was only one alternative, and that was the boat uh, to the United Kingdom. The, today, uh, restaurants, hotels are operating on four-day weeks, five-day weeks, not because of lack of demand, because of lack of staff. I drove to Cork yesterday, I stopped at Junction 8 McDonald's, and there's a sign there, the service is very slow because we have no staff. Now, I'm not suggesting, don't get me wrong here, I'm not suggesting to give up what, what Deputy um, O'Reardon quite rightly says, strong unionized yeah, jobs. I was just going to say, they were secure so, union jobs. That. Uh, in in retail. We, are, we cannot underestimate what full employment means to a country. Now, for the best part of uh, 90 years, 
the only alternative was to get on the boat for and leave the country. The, Can't well, underestimate the, that. Yeah, well, the question is, while the jobs may be there, are they the jobs that are going to pay your bills? Are they the sort of jobs that will get you a roof over your head in this country right now, Megan? Well, I suppose living in certain places, like somewhere like Dublin, where the, the cost of living is extremely high, you, yeah, you would have to wonder, and what's going to happen to these people now? Where are they going to get more jobs? And as you mentioned, great that it's unionised, but now they've been told this morning, guess what, there's no more jobs. Argos is closing down. And Argos is in all the major cities. Um, I know you mentioned about rural Ireland and having to look after it. I'm from a, a very small village in rural Ireland. Uh, we are have the main motorway to Galway and Limerick. Um, our actual capacity, and there's so many people moving to where I'm from because of its location. Mm. Yes, we've closed down all our pubs, our post office is gone, we have nothing. So now to, to get what we want, we have to go into the major cities. So, you know, there it's a huge problem across the whole of Ireland between the small towns and between the big cities. And yeah, so yeah, the and it's also, affected. yeah, the maintenance of, uh, of services mm. there for people as well, while acknowledging that a lot of things like Argos, you know, digital has come and taken over from what Argos did offer people that, that unique thing, the catalogue, the conveyor belt, the unseen product. Just on the jobs, I mean, it is true to say, and, and George is right about, about the nature of full employment and there are more options for people. But we do have disproportionately a, a low-wage economy with 23% of Irish workers in, in, in low pay. That's an OECD statistic. And about 40% of young people under 30 years of age are in insecure work. And that insecurity leads in, in their workplace leads to all sorts of other insecurities, such as accommodation, for example. So the nature of that, the reason why I mentioned the unionised nature of the job, that, that sort of security and be able to be a bit more secure in your life uh, long term is what's so crucial in this economy. And if you have that level of insecurity in the economy, well, any sort of, sort of tip one way or the other is really going to flatten people. Well, let's talk about the difference, I suppose, between high paid jobs, low paid jobs and that wealth inequality uh, Gap. Uh, a lot uh, of apparently wealthy people are all fur coat and no knickers, the Taoiseach told it all this week amid calls for the introduction of a new wealth tax um, as Oxfam published its annual report. Uh, we can take a look now at what Leo Radcard say. Um, I did have a look at the report. It's interesting. I'm going to look at it properly again when I have a bit more time. Um, but I would have two questions about the report, not for you, but perhaps for others. Uh, and that is one around the methodology. Um, is it net wealth or gross wealth, because as we all know from past experience, uh, some people who are billionaires on paper or appear to be billionaires are actually fur coat and no knickers. Uh, they have a lot of money. They have a lot of assets on paper. They also have a lot of debts and liabilities, and their actual net wealth is negative or small. And it seems this uh, report takes their gross wealth, and that would make it uh, somewhat inaccurate to me. Isn't that not the strangest response? I, I tell you. This guy is making a habit of smart-alecky remarks. I think that's about the fourth one in recent weeks. I mean, that does nothing for the people now we're talking about here who've just lost their jobs. Here's the guy who's supposed to be looking after their futures. And he's, it's, a, it's a great soundbite, but it's actually horse manure. You know, the thing is that the people before common sense will, will assume that there's billionaires on every street corner and they can just come down and ask them for money. Money moves. The one thing we know is money is liquid. And if we overtax certain groups, they'll just leave and take the money with them. But if a fella has a, a house on the corner, we bring in stronger property tax. We tax 
assets. I'm yeah. all in favour of tax. It is. Tax is the most can important thing that's keeping us going. You and can't I'm agree. I'm horrified yeah, with myself because I think this is the second time I'm going to agree with George Hogan. You've kicked to the car pretty know, quickly, but George. The, the people who are asking the question about a wealth tax, and you mentioned people before profit, and it was actually Richard Boyd Barrett made the question to, uh, to the Taoiseach, are the very ones who are against a property tax. They vote against it at every opportunity. Yeah. They reduce it by 15% on every council that they have representation on. A property tax is a wealth tax. So this is a very unpopular point of view. Well, I, I suppose it, from their point of view, they would say that the property tax is actually a tax on a person's own home in many Well, instances. in every other European country, there's a property tax. Mm. And, and in every other country, left-wing parties are in favour of it, are, as are we are in, in the Labour Party. But, I mean, you look at the Taoiseach there in, in, in the Dáil and he makes that remark and you just find yourself thinking, why? Who are you directing this at? He was having a bad afternoon already. I think that was... Yeah, well, it. indeed. Well, that was, the, I suppose, the most interesting part of yesterday. He's having a bad afternoon. Yeah, so. but it's going to be, I tell you, it's going to be an interesting political term. I yeah. mean, himself and Mary Lou, hammer and tongs, it, there's, a, there's a visceralness to the mm -hmm. thing. So, and, and that we're at the right at the start of the political term and we're, we're straight into this issue with, the, with Pascal Donoghue. I think it's, it is going to be very interesting and just to see it at that level yesterday. Yeah, and maybe to a point, that's why those comments in particular went under the radar yesterday. Today because we did have Pascal Donoghue um, up in front of the doll um, giving, again, uh, well, the opposition would say not responding to the questions that they want to see answered on it. As this now rolls into um, next week, Megan, what's your take on it? We did have the Minister for Public Expenditure, the Minister who's over ethics, um, saying, look, I will answer those questions. I'm going to do it next Tuesday afternoon now. Um, it's pushed on and it's rolling into another week. Yeah, I'm, I can't understand. Why can't he just speak now? Why can't he just tell us what's going on? Is he trying to buy some time? Is he trying to cover things up? What exactly is happening? And how how is it only coming out now? And, and you know, if, if he's ha had this going on, what else is going on with other people who are in power? Like that's They're meant to be there to set an example for the rest of us. What sort of example is he setting? Does this frustrate people, do you think? Or do you believe that others would say, we have a health crisis, we have a housing crisis? And this is a distraction. This is politicians at it again. And we need to get on with, with the big issues. Well, yes, yeah, certainly we need to get on with the big issues. I mean, we've got a huge march happening in Limerick on Saturday for, for the hospital. So, you know, there is a lot of issues going on and there is people out there and we're, we're doing things and we are, of course, you know, looking at those issues. But again, we can't just let that slide. We can't say, do you know what, Pascal? It's fine. We've got bigger issues going on. Let's jog on. We can't do that. We have to address it. We have to make changes now. Um, uh, George, on all of this, um, what do you think of Pascal Donoghue's handling of it? Well, the first thing is that Pascal Donoghue has parlayed dimples and a speech impediment into the greatest political armory in the doll. So in the doll, assisted by Oliver Callan, uh, the cartoonist on television, everybody sees Pascal as a sweetie pie. On this very programme on Monday night, you had the deputy leader of the Green Party saying, oh, he's a lovely fella. Did you see his apology? Oh, we'll have to let him go. The point is, this is one of the toughest operators in Dolairn. Now, look, and we don't want to, no, George, get into the. We don't really want to get into the personal on it either with Pascal Donahue. I'm not going to tell you that the if this it is legal, but the standards in public office has been has done nothing since its foundation, mm. and there's probably nobody in Dolairn could have their their a. Uh, 
account surgically audited, mm. Sinn Féin, who were doing all the cribbing, suddenly discovered, oh, we forgot 7,000. So the point here is, did Donahue know? Did he actually conceal it? And also, I'm astonished if I read that he got his driver to prepare the accounts rather than having an accountant And we do don't it. know. We don't know, Aon. No, we do know that. No, no, we don't know. We'll more come with all of this and all those other questions well, we that people have been put. Like, that we must ask, did he know? Yeah. Did he know is the crucial thing in law, mm -hmm. or did it suddenly jump up then, to bite him because his driver sure. couldn't do accounting? Yeah, on all of this, there are those outstanding um, answers mm. or questions that are that have to be put to him. It's interesting that Pascal who did concede. Yeah, look, okay, I will, I will go before you again, and I will answer those questions. Um, you know, I suppose in terms of like an overhaul of, of, of SIPO's powers and whether they have teeth to do um, what they need to do here, uh, like from the Fine Gael camp and the government camp, and they're not here tonight, I have to say, to represent, they will say that let SIPO, let it take its course. Well, um, yeah. is, is that good enough in this instance? Well, I can, I can tell you that everybody wants to be talking about something else this week. This is the second controversy we've had over a minister in a week. I think we still have to have an opportunity to speak to Damien English about what he did in submitting a form that wasn't correct to benefit himself in a planning application when he was a TD and still has had no sanction from Fine Gael in terms of his membership of the parliamentary party. We need to talk to him about that. On Do you think there was a sense there that by standing down that, uh, from his junior ministerial role, it would, no, it would, take, it would take the heat yeah, off the but that's, issue. That's not good enough because the Taoiseach has to have uphold standards in politics and standards in politics are always under attack. Um, and people have a very dim view of politicians. And people always assume as soon as you run for election, they always make jokes about brown, brown envelopes and they just assume that politicians can do whatever they want and, the, and, and it's different for other people. So you can put in the planning application which is slightly different and you can fill out forms slightly differently and there's no accountability. Now, I'm Pascal Junior, I'd say this much, and I know him for 20 years. He got elected the same day to the City Council in 2004. What happened yesterday on leaders' questions was ridiculous because all we asked for in the opposition was to happen to Pascal what happened to Leo when he had his own controversy. And I remember I was the person who questioned Leo for 10 minutes over and back question and answer format. And that's all we wanted. What the Taoiseach demanded was that he'd have 10 minutes of a statement, five minutes statements from everybody else and a wrap up from Pascal Donoghue, which of course descended into farce. And now we have another situation today that Pascal Donoghue has said he's going to come back and make another statement. This originated last Sunday. It's now going to continue into next Tuesday. Mm. It's nine days of it. And what people will, will absolutely think is that it's not the issue itself. It's how it was handled. Yeah. And if the Taoiseach can't handle this in a proper way, and of course he can't, he can't, he can't help himself. And there's then, always a dig, hold on, there's always a dig at the shinners, as if that's a defence. Now, us in the Labour Party, whatever you think about the Labour Party, we've never had anybody in front of a tribunal. We don't do grubby money, unlike some other parties in the Dáil. So he can't lay that on us. So he just has to answer the questions which are pertinent to this situation and those 
to Damien English as to how he can continue to be in the Fine Gael Honestly, yeah, you would wonder how they've sort of walked into it and let this roll into another week and not it's, dealt with it straight on, well, knowing I mean, the heat in all that my Pascal years, Dunhill in all my years covering politics, I'm, I'm, sti I'm still amazed mm. to hear that it's, he's rolling it forward to next Tuesday when he could have done. So that tells us that there's something going on in the background. There's something we don't know. It tells us that he would have been in real trouble if he had taken questions yesterday, I suspect. Um, Shin Pierce Doherty did really well on this this morning in the doll. Uh, he was very focused um, uh, and asked the thonic. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. To questions in, you know, in a kind of a laser-like fashion. Clearly, they are now focusing on the 2020 election. And initially, it was been saying, no, this is from, from the Donahue side, this is only to do it with, mm -hmm. with uh, 2016. That's changing now from his spokeswoman to no comment. So something is going on in the background. And yet, you would have to say that Pascal Donahue is, is someone... George, that is very well liked. But I mean, I don't think it's a sin for, for somebody to be pleasant and polite to people that, 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 that they deal with. But I think he's also respected for having done his job very well, especially during COVID, his role in the, in the Eurogroup. So this is why people are all the more puzzled by his behaviour on this, why he didn't address it in 2017, why he didn't address it uh, back last November. Is it this issue that when you're so long in government, you sort of lose touch mm -hmm. with what's going on? But I can tell you there's a real nervousness in government now because well, of how, how long it's going on, the way things are changing. And yet people, yet it would be a really stunning thing to think that on an issue to do with posters and an election that Pascal Donoghue's ministerial career could be under threat. Yeah. 
Um, well, that's it. And we wait and uh, see, uh, I presume, what emerges or what uh, Pascal Donoghue will have to say for himself uh, next Tuesday when I'm sure there will be the questions that remain unanswered and there will be probably uh, further questions as well that will be added to that list come next week. Uh, my panel is staying on with me because after the break, New Zealand's Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern is calling it quits. We'll talk about it. Stay with us. Welcome back. Jacinta Ardern is quitting as New Zealand's Prime Minister ahead of this year's election, saying she no longer has enough in the tank to lead. Well, Ardern put New Zealand on the map in her five years as Prime Minister, becoming a global symbol for left-leaning politics and women in leadership. Her shock announcement comes as polling indicates that her Labour Party does face a difficult path to re-election in October. So did she just get out in the nick of time? My panel has stayed on with me to discuss all of this. Like, I think it did uh, send shockwaves, didn't it, Alison, when we, we, we saw this news? Maybe some in New Zealand mightn't have thought so because I think she had taken a bit of a plummet in the polls. But nonetheless... The way she broached it and the way she said it with such honesty that I simply do not have enough in the tank, it yeah. was oddly refreshing. Yeah, I mean, I've always hearted Jacinda Ardern and I must say I heart her even more after, after watching that. Um, I just love that she was straight up. She's not trying to hang on to power for power's sake. Um, and that she said, it was a, I think it's a wonderful phrase, I don't have the fuel in the tank anymore. Um, and she's making way for some, some, somebody else to do it. Yes, she's not doing so well in the polls at the moment, but I don't think you can necessarily, it's peaks and troughs, uh, it's post-pandemic, it's all those other things that are going on uh, all around the world. Uh, I saw a quote on social media from Julia Gillard, who's another former prime minister from that part of the world, Australia, and she said that Jacinda Ardern had shown the world a new style of leadership by deciding to foreground kindness and empathy. And I thought that really summed it up. And it showed that you can still bring those things uh, to a job such as prime minister and be effective mm. at that job and govern a country really well. Mm. And I think that's what I liked. And I suppose just the pure for, for her as a woman in politics and as a woman in leadership and as a woman with power. And I think even a couple of months ago, we saw when she and the Finnish prime minister, Sana, God, her surname has gone out of my... Uh, yeah, but know. she was asked that question yeah, at the press yeah. conference about how they got on. Yeah, no, they, were they only meeting because there were two? And I mean, they handled yeah. it. You know, they, they, yeah, and you just thought, and that's still sort of the level of where thing, yeah, things are that, at. That actually was yeah. incredibly disappointing. I don't know what, what you thought of that. Like, here is someone who, at the age of 37, uh, Megan becomes, you know, prime minister in 2017. Like, it's really quite extraordinary, the youngest female leader in the world. And actually, the fact that she became a global voice uh, during the pandemic as well, but yet faced all of, all of this, this, these criticisms that women face every day of the week, nonetheless, throughout her term in office. Yeah, and it's just awful to see that it's still happening and it's constantly happening. And, you know, I, I think I have to agree with Alison and, and what I think of Jacinda. Like, I grew up and I feel like I never really had role models during my school years in politics. And then yeah. suddenly she's just a few years older than me. And then to see what she's done and how she led that country. As you said, globally, she was absolutely incredible. And um, I think, you know, she has paved the way for women in politics, but for politics in general and how to be a leader, whether you're male or female. Yeah. She has kind of shown the world, this is what you can do. Empathy, kindness, mm -hmm. that's what we want from yeah. But also, do you think it's interesting that um, with that, George, she said there's a limit to this, like there's a timeline. And you know what? 
I'm going to get out now. Like there's many in this country and they will cling on to power for as yeah. long as they yeah, can. Yeah. But because they speak English down there, we, we think they're like us. In fact, it's a totally different economy. It's a very rural economy. There are more sheep in New Zealand than there are people. There probably isn't a factory in the whole of South Island. So the first thing is that the economics of New Zealand are completely different. I remember talking to Helen Clark, former Prime Minister in New Zealand, and, and she said the big problem with New Zealand economy is we can't get New Zealanders to spend money. All their fridges are 20 years old, all their cars are 20 years old. So the fact then that they also, in, in terms of party politics, they've alternated backwards and forwards between the National Party mm. and Labour. So what she did, and I mean, the better, much better speakers than me about this in the two previous speakers, what I see it as is that she saw the writing on the wall and did what not many political leaders, I suspect, would do. They'd keep hanging on until the last minute, hoping for a miracle. She suddenly said she also wants to get married. She has a child. And she's suddenly saying, hold on here. There's more to life than just this. Yeah. And I, I, that was the thing that impressed me most. It's yeah. very depressing. There was it, a headline, it was on, on, on social media, a BBC, BBC. And I think they changed it saying like, can women, women not yeah. have it all? And you're just yeah. like, oh God. Oh, I mean, go again. she did bloody have it all yeah. and do it all. And she's now just decided she's going for a, a change in direction. Yeah, and also, you know, as I said, uh, well, as I said before, you know, generally leaders like to cling on to power. Isn't there something very honest, very real, and also reassuring that some will say, you know, actually, I've, I've, I'm at my best and I've done enough and I've left the country and I believe a good state and now it's time for somebody new in the gig. That hasn't happened. Like, it hasn't happened here. How long do we have to wait for Enda Kenny to go? Well, do you remember you see, that? The long goodbye. It's a different place, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, see, I do understand place. that, but is it also a mentality? Well, you see, the thing... Look, she has been an icon for the centre-left around the world and when the centre-left has been having a difficult last 10, 15 years and... Ireland, the UK, France, all around the world, Labour parties have, have struggled. But she has been somebody that we've looked to as to how we can rebuild the centre-left and social democracy. So we're all a bit flummoxed uh, by today's announcement. However, it's a bit like being a boxer. You, don't, you just don't know when, you're, you know when you really need to give up. And the thing about giving up is that it's a huge come down. Your life has been so busy and, 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 and so, so full of consequence and every decision, every room you walk into, you're the most important person in the room. And then the very next day you give up, you have none of those things. And Do the you phone think burnout comes sooner to politicians? Well, I think what happens, well, I think if you're in government, it's very different to being in opposition. I mean, you can, I'm in opposition, it's a very different animal to being in government. And if you have, I mean, I see some cabinet members that we have now doing it 12 years, that's a massive impact on your own personal life, How what you can say in public, how you can act in public, what your family goes through. The thing about politics is that there's always another election not too far away, and there's always somebody who will say, would you not hang on? And it's not always your own decision, because the party and people within the party will try and encourage but you to hang also, around. I think it's important to point out that she also would have been the subject of an awful lot of abuse and yeah. online, and we've seen that has been um, a big topic in the last few days here. 
Yeah. It's a really good piece in the Irish mm. Times last Saturday um, to hear Holly Cairns. Holly Cairns, who spoke exactly um, on, on the, the group chat and podcast. talked and about really, um, her treatment. Yeah, really bravely the came out. Of, of physical stalking. Yeah, and, and a man turning up at, at her door. And I mean, the, the to read that article last week, I mean, I'm covering politics a long time. I was so shocked by what, it, I'm not saying it doesn't happen to male politicians, but it's, it, and it does. It doesn't, not the same way. Not to the same level. Well. No, but there was, there was a, a court case actually, a, 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 a man held in remand with Fine Gael Senator Michal Carragy this week actually, which is some frightening mm. level, but overwhelmingly it's female. Yeah. It's sexualized, it's genderized, it's, um, it's, it's porn, being sent porn, it's, um, you know, horrible messages. And you don't have to go far to, to get to it. You just pick up your phone and no, you can see it. But, and these on women don't want to then, these female politicians then are afraid to say anything about it because they think that A, they'll invite more, B, that they look weak, that people will say, well, that, you know, it's you went into politics and that's. And it really strikes me. Do you me think that that's changing I, though now? No, that, I would be really that, worried no. that something serious is going to happen. Uh, yeah, and that we'll I, all be going around after saying, oh my God, why why wasn't something more? In terms of the houses of the Oireachtas, which mm. have an obligation, political parties that have an obligation, the Gardaí. Mio Martin said today that, you know, that he thought there should be a cross political grouping. But I mean, do it now is what I'd say. Yeah, there I, is the a whole sense thing has there is a sense quite, increasingly quite significantly. It has got out of hand, yeah. and I think we don't know. We are getting an idea now of the level of what is going on, <clears> but it's serious I, stuff. I, I, I think, I think, there I think is when a, you do a sense now yeah. that it is really access all areas, isn't it? And that well, you know, once you're out there in the public, and too many too many people think. Ian, it'd be interesting about. I think too many people almost think that they've ownership of politicians. We've but elected. Then, but then it's not just you; the it's the people who's, who who are in your family, and if you have children in your family, that they may be affected. And I know lots of people in every single party who, if they lost the next election, they'll be it for them because they just wouldn't have the, you know, the, 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 it would be an opportunity to walk away. And they take that opportunity because life is too short. And there is a level of negativity around the job, which sometimes we are part of and we do feed into that. And we can be sometimes too robust in our own interactions with each other. And we have to check ourselves. Um, but I do think, you know, somebody going to a public meeting in Galway and throwing, yeah. throwing manure at two politicians I think we all need to step back a little bit here well, because the great on, thing about Irish yeah. politics, I would say, George, is this. Yeah. Politicians in general do mix with the public. They can no. go to football matches, they can go to the pubs, they can go to restaurants, they can, they can be in the public space. Not every democracy is like that. And if we lose that, and if people feel less comfortable about doing it, we're going to lose a lot. Do you think that's certainly going to put young people off going into politics, Megan? Um, I mean, I, I, what I think is, uh, was great about Jacinta Ardern was the fact that she could actually, after several years in the job, say, you know what, I've had enough. I need my life back. I need family life. I need a bit of balance and maybe look towards something new. Um, but generally, you know, the, 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 the black and, and, and all the, the, the pressure that goes with the gig, especially being maybe a young woman who might be interested in going into politics, that'll put them off. Yeah, and I think there needs to be a good work-life balance for a woman in politics. I mean, you look at Helen McEntee, like you should be able to have mm. a family and still work in politics. Mm. Um, another issue is social media, which I think, you know, we go on about a lot, but these accounts being set up, um, people will be able to hide behind a name, uh, no photos. I have been sent so many unsolicited photos across my social media and I don't even work in politics. And I've had to, you know, you go on your social media and you don't know what you're going to open. And people sometimes say, well, just don't open it. 
but that's not, you can't just leave messages unread either because sometimes it might, might be harmless, but then you open it up and then suddenly you're left with this photo that yeah. you obviously At didn't At the same want. time, politicians do have a public profile. They do invite people, obviously, to, you know, they have constituency clinics and all of that, and they, they probably want feedback, well, I, do they, I, from those that elect I, them? I, I have an issue with this in a way. Well, two things. One, there was no suggestion that the Prime Minister of New Zealand resigned because of any kind of abuse or otherwise. Um, she resigned because she said she'd had enough. Now, like she got tremendous credit, rightly so, for her treatment to COVID. But there isn't another economy in the world who could have just shut their borders. I mean, she just said mm. one day, is nobody coming through our airports? Is nobody coming through our ports? So it's a, I keep saying to you, it's a very different place. There was now, backlash. Now, the there second was backlash, thing, though, for that right, as well, and there has been more so recently. That like, there is a price to pay mm. about public life. And when you enter public life as, as a journalist, broadcaster, politician, film star, call it what you will, you tend to get paid, tend to, <laughs> tend to get paid more than the average person. The price of that is your privacy. And, and like, People who go into whatever these professions are, they have to take with it that other side of the argument. Well, that George, they I couldn't. I couldn't disagree with I you. Never I couldn't disagree would. with you more I never on that. Would, agree. would you accept and, and, that that, yeah. there, that there are sacrifices, and that is bound to be a sacrifice? You stand up there, you want to get elected, you make you know all these promises, and then people will maybe attack you over that now you know it can be very harsh in so some instances that, and it can go beyond that well i'm actually thinking you... then that if you're getting rape threats death threats you've people uh, basically uh, where their female politicians being told i have your poster in my bedroom and i'm masturbating over it no i would think that's actually uh, is way over the line and i think george when you say that jacinda ardern said that she wasn't she wasn't standing down over social media mm. It, it, I mean, to me, that's almost minimising. I mean, if you go back over the years and what she and any other female politician, uh, what is put up there about them, it is vile and it is disgusting. And uh, I think it's part of no female issue. I disagree oh, with you. Oh, sorry, sorry, wow. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Wow, wow. I mean, easily known you're not a female politician or that you haven't you, looked at it no, and but seen. Are you suggesting that, that male whatever they are, politicians, broadcasters, film stars, actors, whatever, mm. Mm. that they don't get abuse. Nothing and, like and the level. Twitter, Sorry, nothing, Twitter. Twitter. Nothing, nothing, nothing like the level, say, I think, would be, as a, would be as, very as a male politician, As a male politician, it is completely different to what yeah. my female colleagues go through. There is no comparison to the comments on how they dress, what their hair looks like, um, their physical appearance, uh, and then the sexualized nature of commentary around them. There is absolutely no comparison to what I go through, to what a female colleague of mine will go through. And I have to say that. And it is wrong and it is poisonous and it's pushing some people out and encouraging some people not to get in in the first place. Now, there are professions, not just politics. I was a school teacher. There are school teachers in, small, in certain communities who... Going with the job, you carry yourself in a certain way outside the job. And that happens with guards and can happen with doctors and it can happen with certain professions. Journalism, I'm quite sure. You have to, you just, you just you know, carry yourself in a, in a particular way outside of the, of the given hours. And politics is like that too. Mm. But however, uh, I have to say that uh, social media uh, 
And I think also the, the sense that people have that I have so many ways now I can contact my local representative mm. and so many ways I can do it anonymously. And I'm having a bad day or I'm just feeling cranky about the world. And I now feel as if I can point my finger at this person and, and bully them. And so this only applies to politicians. No, no, my, no, you made... You no, made, no, do you use the word politician no, consistently in this conversation? Well, actually, you're saying I, everyone should I, be I abused said, then. That's no, basically... No, no, that it's, no, 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 George, I, I, you're I, saying I that if you I get... Let me finish the sentence. You're saying if your wage is above a certain amount, you almost deserve the No, abuse, I didn't say or wage. That it comes, what it's I said was that people in the public eye, mm. who would be actors, politicians, broadcast, whatever, tend to get paid more than the average industrial wage, right? When you go in the public eye, there is a price to be paid. Now, I know what I said. How high? So don't, don't yeah. misquote me. I no, know what you, I said. You right. said and they, what I said was, there is therefore a price to be paid. So when the question you is, say, how, how, how high must that and price be? Rape are not I a, don't a legitimate know. price. It's not a legitimate I don't price. No. So, but is the is the is the converse of that, yeah. George, saying that people who are, regardless of your wage or how famous anyone is, that it's okay? There's a level of that it's okay that certain people are abusing other people because they have a high profile and they get lots of money. Did, the problem with the current social life compared with 30 or 40 years mm. ago is every Tom, Dick and Harry can go on social media without disclosing... All right. George, there's female politicians who have been told not to hold okay. constituency clinics because they're in danger. I'm going to have to stop you there because we do have to go to a break, I'm afraid. Lots more coming up after this, including uh, the look of the Irish at today's BAFTA nominations. Stay with us. Welcome back. It was a good day for the Irish filmmakers and storytellers again with a number of nominations um, when the BAFTA nominations were announced today. I suppose this is all teeing up as well um, for what might happen come the Oscars. It's been a real success story, though, so far for Irish, Irish film, I think, uh, in the awards season. Um, and we know that the Banshees of Inishirin, writer-director Martin McDonough, Kerry Condon has received a nod, Colin Farrell, Brendan Gleeson, Barry Keoghan. Um, ten nominations in all for Banshees of Inishirin. Have you seen it, Alison? And is it something oh you God. look I'm, forward I'm, to seeing now I when am, you see all the nods it's yeah, getting? I'm embarrassed that I've seen kind of nothing. And I haven't seen on <laughs> Colin Kuhn. I keep meaning to. I really, I think I need to get some popcorn in over the weekend. Mm. Um, We're supposed to be a big cinema-going nation. Do you think yeah, that's well, off the radar a bit? My, my husband told me that about the, the Banshees. He said it was really, really good, but that it, I might find it a bit depressing. And he knew, he said, I don't know. So that kind of, but I've heard since that, no, that is not the case. Yeah, so I, I now feel... I now feel duty bound that it's it's being nominated. Yeah. That it's almost unpatriotic of me. Yeah, if it's not you've Paw Patrol, seen the clips as well. If it's not Paw Patrol or Chipmunks, I haven't seen it. Sorry, <laughs> right, that's it. Um, what about you, Megan? Have you seen it? I haven't seen it full, oh, but I've God. seen all the clips and stuff. Listen, we can't do our movie review show now, George. I saw you the are the banshee. I saw the Quiet Man. Does that count? <laughs> I thought uh, you were going to say I've actually uh, seen on Colleen Hughes, no, which they, is a, but uh, I do know something about the film industry, which is quite important. Why this is very relevant is. 
because there is a tax limit on the amount of money that companies can get when they spend a huge amount, and, and like to the economy, mm. it's huge money making mm. a movie in this country. We are losing out on big productions. So this uh, it has an economic effect. Of course, we're all delighted when some fella gets an award or something. Yeah. But the economic effect is very important. And the government has to look at increasing the level of, of uh, tax... Tax breaks. Tax breaks I thought, I, for I thought, movies. I thought we were subject to loads of tax breaks when it came to filming here. Well, but I have to say, if you if you look at Banshees of Inishirin, and even if you've only seen the clips, um, it's been a huge boon, I think, for tourism. And we'd like to see maybe that payoff come this summer, Megan. Yeah, absolutely. Because um, at Ackle Island, like I, I have friends that live in Ackle and they've been speaking about it and how so many people now are coming to see all the different locations. And do they love that or hate it? No, they love it because it's it's kind of gone back to, I guess, pre-COVID times. You know, Ackle Island is a great tourist um, hub and mm. as, is, as is all of the West of Ireland. And uh, I just think it's lovely that Martin McDonough has such a grow for, for that side of the country. And uh, yeah, it's mm. just huge for the film industry. And it's great to see movies like that coming to Ireland. And I know at the moment there's currently a huge blockbuster being filmed in, in Limerick. I think it's wrapping up today, actually. So it's good to see more and more of those big, huge movies coming here because, as I said, it's great for tourism, it's great for the economy. And also it's great for us because you get to watch these award shows and... You get to spot places that you've been to. But I think on Colin Kuhn is a fantastic uh, achievement for the Irish language uh, community, for, for those who have self-confidence in, in producing mm -hmm. films. Oscar I think it's fantastic. I think Colin Barade, the, uh, the director, I think his dad might have taught me German through Irish in Gwelskull Media um, 30 years ago. There's an now yeah, from, from my own I think school. He did. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. The Gaelga is there and used so beautifully in that film. And I think it's a, a very accessible um, movie as well. So, you know, does, um, does so well and hopefully does very well on uh, the awards circuit as well. We're going to have to leave it for now. My thanks to all the guests um, and from all the late team here. Good night and do take care. <laughs> <laughs>